Awesome. Well, welcome back, everybody. This is Lauren. I use she and her pronouns. And Tristan was just on Zoom a moment ago, and we were talking to Abiola before jumping in, um, our guest today. And Tristan is burning out and needs some rest, <laughs> like a lot of us do. So we miss you, Tristan. We'll catch you next time. But for now, Abiola, welcome to the podcast. Would you mind introducing yourself and any social location identities that you'd like to share with everyone? Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I'm so excited to be on. And Tristan, we miss you, but please get some rest. Um, so hi, everyone. I am Abiola Bala. I am the founder of Fern Education Studios, a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultancy. Um, and in terms of my social location, so I am a cisgender heterosexual woman of color, of mixed ethnicity. I was born and raised here in Trinidad and Tobago, so I'm a citizen of Trinidad and Tobago, where I'm actually physically located right now. Um, but I have been an immigrant for the majority of my life, 20 plus years living in Japan, the US, and Belize. Um, I walk the world in a larger body. I have some neurodivergence, which usually manifests itself in that I forget words sometimes. And I, I actually finally, you know, like admitted that and start, started, stop feeling self-conscious about that part of me because it is a part of me. Um, I am educated. I have two master's degrees and English is my first language, but I do also speak Spanish and Japanese. And um, what else? What else? I am a process thinker. I am oh, so many things that I can't even think of anymore. Um, yeah. And that's all that's coming to my brain right now. <laughs> You know, we, we all have many, many, many identities and every time someone introduces themselves, like I, I never thought to think, oh, I'm a systems thinker or I'm a process right. thinker. Like even just how your brain works is very helpful to know yeah. about folks. Uh, yeah. Thank you for sharing all that. And are there any astrological placements that feel relevant? Yeah. So I'm actually, I'm a Scorpio and I am a Scorpio, sun and moon, like in sun and moon, right? With Libra rising. That much I know. <laughs> you know what? That I feel like I say this every time someone says their place, and so I'm like, that makes sense because Scorpio is all about what's hidden, what's not talked about. And that's so much of your work. Yeah. Like you say the things a lot of people won't say. Uh, you take up space in ways other people won't. And then Libra, you know, balance, justice. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, there we go. <laughs> we've had a lot of Libra on the podcast, a lot of fire, but a lot of Libra too. Nice. Uh, I love that. Cool. So I am so curious and I feel like I've seen you share about this on Instagram and other places. Abiola's newsletter is awesome, by the way. So please get on that list. I'll link it in the show notes. Thank but you. How did you end up learning Japanese, making your way to Japan as a young person? That's a great question. So I, I, it, you know, it's, it's a great question, but it's also like a bit sad as well. So when I, I was studying in New York, I studied film and broadcasting 
for oh. my undergrad. So I have a background okay. in that. I was a video editor in New York, like basically like working in a building in Times Square. Um, fun. Um, <laughs> especially when it's time to go home and <laughs> right. Um, but, and then I moved back to Trinidad and, um, I got a job here as a producer at the local television station and a friend, I've always wanted to travel the world. And a friend told me about, you know, the jet program. So it's a program that basically, um, it's, it's jet is Japan exchange and teaching program. Right. So you go to Japan um, to become an assistant language teacher. And I was like, oh, interesting. So they take people from their home countries. So you'll have to apply within your home country. And so I was like, okay, let me apply because it's a job (laughs) as well. And I want to travel. So why not? Let's see what happens. And so I applied. I believe the application was a happened like for me to put in the application happened in in an October I believe so but my mom actually passed away the September before oh. she was so I'll put it to you this way I got back to Trinidad in August my mom was killed in a car accident in September and then I applied in October. And the reason I applied, because at first I was still like, uh, do I want to do this? My mom just like I knew in my heart that this was something I had to do, not just for me, but also for her. It was something she would want for me because I had talked to her about it before and she wanted this for me. She was so excited about it. So I applied, I went to the interview. I got in and less than nine, 10 months later, I was on a plane to Japan. I knew how to speak absolutely zero Japanese. The only thing I knew was Konnichiwa, that was it. And yeah, that happened. I had only decided to go to Japan for one year and I ended up staying for 10. (laughs) Was that long? Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Well, first of all, of course, I am so sorry. Thank you for your loss. And I mean, I'm so glad that you and your mom were able to have those conversations before the accident. Sudden loss is a whole other animal. Um, And was she like, did she have your same kind of adventurous spirit and curiosity? I think that she she did. So my mom had me when she was pretty young. She was 21 and she was working. So she had kids young and she was working as a teacher and within a school system. So she was an educator. Um, she was also, you know, like in Sunday school and the church and things like that. And she, it, it, it was, she had like this vibrancy for like life and she loved to travel and see new things and most of the times it was mostly to New York because her parents were in New York and then we would travel so since I was 
young kid, five years old, I was going back and forth to New York to see my grandparents, my aunts and uncles and my grandmother in Baltimore and things like that. So, yeah. So, you know, she, she, she loved learning about new things and, you know, this idea that I can go abroad to study was she pushed me towards that instead of going to the university here in Trinidad. Mm. She was like, yes, do it. You know, she would be like, yeah, okay, you want to come back? So she's always, she was always that person, you know, mm-hmm. to make you. And yeah, like doing something different isn't scary. It's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause even she didn't get, she was in the midst of earning her own bachelor's degree in early childhood education so she had the I I call it bravery to go back to school in her 40s you know to start in her bachelor's degree and and that always stuck with me too because it's not an easy thing to do you have three kids you have a you know state job and you're like yeah let me go back to school and change We just add something else huge to my plate. Yeah. Exactly. And so was your mom born in New York and no, she was or... no, okay. she was born right here in Trinidad and her parents immigrated to the oh. US and she stayed. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Huh. And where where did your grandparents and aunts and uncles live in New York? Um Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Okay. I was gonna say <laughs> Brooklyn. Um Brooklyn. That's where everyone cool goes to. And <laughs> Yeah. Right. It's its own. It's place. a different Brooklyn now. <laughs> I was gonna say it's definitely a different Brooklyn now, but there's still pockets yeah. of it with um definitely like a lot of Caribbean folks. Oh yes, yes. Sure. Very yeah. much so. <laughs> yeah. Um, really good food, I will say. <laughs> yes, yes. And <laughs> I definitely enjoyed that. Um so yeah, so you went through a lot of transition all once while grieving, yeah. and I would imagine yeah. it was not easy. Yeah. Stayed for ten years. Yeah. So while you were in Japan that whole time, were you doing the um, language education work? Um, yeah. So I was. So in the beginning, yes. So I did the jet program for two years, and then I decided to you know, okay, let me try to make it on my own outside of the program and, you know, do what normal people do, find jobs. But so um, that's when I moved down to the Tokyo area. And from there, I worked in um, English language schools and then made the transition to uh, international high school. And, you know, during that time, I was getting my first master's degree as well in applied linguistics and TESOL, teaching English to speakers of other languages. Um, And yeah, so within the high school system, I taught mostly students who were what we call returnees. So they had lived in English speaking countries and they had come back to Japan. So they had a very high level of English as well and as well as running the university counseling program. So I did for them studying abroad, going back to English speaking countries or within Asia. So some students wanted to go to China, some wanted to go to Korea, some wanted to go to um, Taiwan to study and things like that. Um, so I developed the entire, the, the university counseling program while I was there and designed the curriculum, et cetera, for that. 
And then I started working within Temple University, Japan campus, um, working in their language program and working with those who were going into graduate school, prepping to go to graduate school. So language studies for, the, for those um, students as well. So yeah, so from there, a lot of my work ended up, you know, kind of working with students who always felt like they didn't fit mm. in some way or form because they did, they weren't, they weren't, they either weren't Japanese enough or they weren't American enough or they weren't British enough in whatever space that they had. So when I looked at how I built curriculum, I always wanted to make sure that whatever we did, whatever space we had in that classroom, that physical space at that time, right, was a place where they felt like I can be me, like all of me, you know? And even at that time, Lauren, I'm not, I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> in terms of like I didn't know like there's diversity equity and inclusion mm -hmm. it wasn't that wasn't you know the 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 theory that wasn't what I was doing I just knew that I could relate to wanting that sense of belonging so how do I build that in to my curriculum so these students when they come into my class mm -hmm. they can breathe they can feel like they can just be, they can ask questions and know that they'll be heard. They know that their opinions matter in that space, even though it differs from what the norm or the, you know, um, what's the word, like the, 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 the standard or whatever the word is, yeah. you know, the dominant, that's the word I'm looking for, the dominant, like, way of thinking is within the school system. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense that things would kind of progress that way for you, even if you didn't know that it was DEI work. Yeah. Um, and I'm just hearing like such a deep value of radically welcoming people, letting them be their whole self, whatever that is in a space or whoever that is, I should say. Um, and just belongingness. Yeah. And when you said like you could relate to that and understand that, mm -hmm. were there times before you found yourself doing that type of work where you felt, I mean, obviously going to a new country, yeah. <laughs> so not from yeah. there, that's kind of a fish out of water situation, but were there other experiences that you felt connected to from your own life that reflected what your students yeah. were going through? Yeah. I mean, it started with me growing up here. Mm -hmm. because of the experience that I've, I've had, like going to the U.S. from such a young age, being exposed to like different cultures. And even, even within our school system here in Trinidad, like we are exposed to like different religions, different cultures, different everything. Like we, it's built into our curriculum here. Oh. Um, yeah. So like we celebrate Diwali in school, like we, we understand what it is, like Diwali, Shout to Baptist, you know, Edel Fatur, like we, 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 we build an appreciation 
for those differences from a very young age. We don't have to believe the same thing everyone believes, but we appreciate that difference mm-hmm. within like things like religion and things like that from an early age. So there isn't like a separation of church and state in, in the all school the system here in that, all the churches, all everyone, the right? <laughs> and they're public holidays here, right? They're national holidays, um, bank holidays, you can stay home, <laughs> that too. But yeah, so um, going back to that, um, so, you know, that mentality that I had, like, especially like when I was in high school and everyone was thinking about like university here, I was already like, um, no, I, I want to go there. I want to go to the U.S. And even when I was in the U.S., like, you know, being in class, so in my, my university, uh, St. Francis College, was in the middle of downtown Brooklyn. It's a small university. And, like, it, it was amazing just being just kind of there and meeting people from different walks of life and from different countries and things like that. It just started opening you up a little more. But I also got the, I remember when I had told someone I was working with, you know what, I want to travel more, not just within the U.S., right? And um, I was like, I'm thinking about going to Japan I heard about this program. So this was like months before I even made that decision. I was like, "Mm, I heard about this program and I think I might want to do it. And I remember very clearly one of my coworkers said, um, and they're person of color and they were like, "Um, but we don't do that kind of thing. Meaning like people who look like us don't do that kind of thing. And specifically, this was someone with darker skin. So it wasn't an yeah. Asian person. Per se. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I was like, well, why not? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and then, you know, cut to being in Japan and always feeling apart. Mm-hmm. Right. So no matter how much Japanese you learn, you still won't be. Japanese, right? You still are never Japanese enough. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's, 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 it is a homogeneous society, right? Yeah. And it is, you know, it's changed, it, it's changed a lot. But at that time, this was back in like 2005, right? Mm-hmm. It was still very like, sitting on the train and sometimes people don't want to sit next to you. Oh, you know, it was still, I remember I was teaching preschool age kids and a kid asking me if my skin was dirty in Japanese because they never seen someone with my skin complexion before, you know, mm-hmm. and I have like lighter brown skin than like my friend from Kenya who had darker brown skin, you know? So it's, it's, it was all of those things always made me feel apart mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form. 
you know? And I didn't like that feeling of always feeling, you know, and even within my family, nobody else wanted to travel the way I did. Nobody else, like I was, I, I was always the first to do the things. So mm. like, you know, and some people are saying, oh, but that's so brave, but it's also very lonely and it's also very nerve wracking. And it's also, you're still trying to find your place because you don't know where it is, Oof. you know? So all those things. Um, the, yeah, being told it's brave, but you're like, it's lonely. Oh my yeah. God. I never had those words for it. For someone who just said you have trouble finding words. I think those are like <laughs> the perfect words. Like if you're a person in your family system or your culture or a culture you go to, who is the only one or the yeah. first one or among the few who do something different. It is fucking lonely sometimes. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Sorry, I thought I heard my dog coming in. Um, we have a space heater going in the office where I'm recording. So when I close the door and she's not in here, she wants back in. <laughs> so you might hear a little beast of dog coming in. No problem. Um, she just had surgery too. So it's been a colorful week over here. Um, but uh, yeah, she's okay. It's, it's just been, it's been a lot. Um, I want to go back to what you said about um, the homogenous like culture because yeah. um, I've heard that before from folks I know who are from Japan, people who have spent time there that yeah. in addition to just, you know, of course it's changing, but the mm-hmm. way people look is yeah. more homogenous, but also um, it's a culture that really values like a collective yes. model of care yes. and they really value yeah. elders. And yes. so I'm curious, um, was that, cause I don't know much about the culture in Trinidad, but like, was that a, also an adjustment for you coming from your home country or was that normal for you? No, that was actually normal because we are very collective here in Trinidad too. We're about the family system. Like people live in their family homes until, oh, they, okay. you know, like you, you're, you, you can, like, it's not like 18, when are you leaving? <laughs> Peace, deuces. You know, it's not like that here. You know, like if you have a family home, like you can stay. Yeah. So that's where I am right now, oh, <laughs> back okay. in my family home, right? So I always know I have this, you know, I'm privileged enough to know I have this space to catch me, you yeah. know? If, yeah. if anything, and it did during the pandemic. <laughs> so I'm very grateful <laughs> and, you know, for that. Um, but yeah, so, so that piece I understood mm-hmm. and that, I mean, even though beforehand I was living in the U.S. for like five, six years, so it was more individualistic kind of society. So that piece was already a part of my like growth Mm-hmm. as well but then coming back into Japan and that collective and you know universal health care <laughs> uh, it's like not just attitudes it's like their systems are set the up to take care systems. of figure exactly exactly yeah. we're there like that I understand and I feel like that piece of it was a big part of why I stayed so long mm-hmm. like I like it's so funny like you bring this up like I never thought about it like it's now like coming to me it's like you know I guess it is 
when we think about ourselves and our like identities, there are certain pieces of ourselves that can feel like comfort and feel at home in certain spaces. Whereas, you know, that dichotomy of that other piece of yourself, like, oh, no one wants to sit next to me in the train, but it feels so good. But no one wants to sit next, the police are gonna, you know, <laughs> the police see you walking down the stairs and you turn around and walk back and because you forgot something and they decide you were running from them. True story, it happened um, to me, um, <laughs> you know, like, but then you're like, but also I'm a part of this, like, mm-hmm. when you have your people, you become a part of this family, mm-hmm. you know? And I, 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 I was able to find certain people so like I call her like my Japanese mom. She was like, oh, like every she's everything. I love her to this day. Still talk to each other and stuff like that. But you know, like it, it's it, you have to find your space. You know, and your people. Yeah, those deep relationships can make anywhere home. Yeah, especially if you're someone who has moved around a lot. You know, you're yeah doing a lot of different things. So after those 10 years in Japan, where, where did you go from there and how did your work evolve? Yeah. So I ended up, um, back in the U S but this time on the West coast, I ended up in California in Monterey to be exact. Um, Mm -hmm. I went and did my second master's master's degree at Middlebury. (laughs) Masters. (laughs) I know. It's like, what girl, (laughs) Tristan, Tristan just really likes school. <laughs> so do I. In school forever. I know I can help it. People are like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> anyway, so I did it at Middlebury Institute of International Studies in Monterey. Beautiful, I love Monterey. Um, and I study international education management. So my idea was I wanted to, you know, get more of a practical like started thinking about working in like study abroad and more like, you know, girls education and like really focusing in on it. And of course, when I get there, you know, come in with ideas and it all changes. And then, you know, I sat in a diversity, equity and inclusion course. And I was like, wait, this is exactly what I've been doing for the past, like, eight to 10 years. Like, you're just telling me everything I already know. But you're giving me names of people to go read now for the theory, you know? Back it up, cite Back it up, right? (laughs) The academia is part of it, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? Okay, so this is a thing. And, you know, that's, I was like, all right, let's do this. And then I got into more like the social impact space through that work, um, working um, at that time, we had a central center for social impact learning. Um, It's the, it's closed down now. Um, But at that time we had that and I was able to, you know, work in that space, learn more about what social impacts, you know, free trade, B Corps, all those terms. 
and, you know, working with people who were, you know, trying to, 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 to do good in the world in some way, shape or form, right? Um, and I ended up working for uh, education abroad social enterprise um, in Belize afterwards. So basically it was, I found that through um, Middlebury and stuff like that. And like doing that, like building out the education abroad programs, like working closely um, through that job, I was able to volunteer for the Forum on Education Abroad, which is, um, they are the tasked by the US Department of Justice to put out the standards for education abroad. Um, DOJ, that's such, I would think it's Department of State, but DOJ. No, yeah, yeah. Um, To put out the standards for education abroad nationally, and Mm -hmm. it seeps into internationally as well. So I actually was able, I had the I call it an honor because I worked with such amazing people to be on the team that rewrote the new standards through a DEI lens, right? And so we were able to like, you know, come together and do that. And, you know, this is a standard by which, you know, higher within the higher ed space, within, you know, the nonprofits who work, you know, other social enterprises who work with that, within that we, 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 this is the standards we work by, you know, and being able to have my voice heard in that, especially someone coming from, you know, a Caribbean perspective, coming from the global South, right? I have the global North perspective, but I was born and raised here and I never forgot about it. So being able to open, to come back by working in Belize, right? And to like, you know, just be able to uh, to, to put my two cents in, mm-hmm. in that, you know, it was more than two cents, but you know. Okay. Yeah, I think you're being, um, <laughs> you know, but- <laughs> It was really, yeah. You know, and what's occurring to me too, in a literal sense, like you are such a translator. I mean, you speak three languages, right? I'm not missing one. You said- Well, Trinidadian is the language on its own too. Okay, so four languages. But but our dialect, our dialect of English. Okay, okay. So speak all these different languages. You also, like you were saying, you have that global self- Mm-hmm. upbringing and yeah. that's culture and you understand the global north yeah like you and, and this is what I see come through in your work today and like like mm-hmm. I mentioned in the newsletter you have a way of again for someone who said you have trouble finding words your words I think and the tone and the um maybe intention and feeling behind them yeah. I feel like you are so talented at helping concepts land for people who may have had resistance to them in other spaces. Not that we should be centering white folks comfort if we're talking about racism, for example, but I do, I do sense that like you are extremely skilled at meeting someone where they are and helping to translate and bridge different perspectives. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm really curious, like 
how that showed up in your work and how that's coming through now with the types of clients who find you. Yeah. So, you know, I, I remember when I was younger, I used to call it my superpower Mm. (laughs) in that I listen. I, I call myself an introvert. That's one of my identities as well. You know, I can be extroverted when time needs to, when I need to be, but I'm mostly an introvert. And a lot of that is I grew up listening, listening to people around me, just listening and observing. And I always feel this like instinct when I knew I need to push or when I knew I need to back off. And I feel that instinct also comes from my mom, like the, the teacher in her, you know? And I think that is something that I've not taken for granted in that I try to hone it and I try to make sure I'm like being very aware of what what people are saying to me, you know, and giving people the space to actually speak and listen to them, Mm. right? And I always, I don't know, it's just something in me, like I always want people to know that we, we need to have like, sometimes a lot of tough conversations. And if you're feeling backed against the wall or if you feel like someone's gonna come at you for saying what you have to say, Mm -hmm. you're not gonna be able to say it. You're just gonna keep it inside, right? And then what's the purpose in that? How is that helping, Mm -hmm. right? And that that piece of me (laughs) that just always wanna help is like, okay, maybe you need to hear them say the hard things that probably are gonna (laughs) hit you pretty hard. Cause sometimes I, it's like, I feel it in my body. It's not like it doesn't affect me. It does. Yeah. That's something I was curious about because we've had a lot of conversations with folks doing anti-oppression work Mm -hmm. and then how their marginalized identities show up, especially if I mean, I keep using anti-racist work as an example because it's such yeah, a yeah. obvious one and it's usually yeah. the most alien identity we have. But like for me, if I'm facilitating an anti-racism workshop with my BIPOC colleague, there are certain things I'll say, or if, it, if, if we need to go into an affinity space with other white folks, like I will do that because it's a harm reduction strategy for my right. facilitator. Yeah. It's from what I understand, you're often working solo. Yeah. And when those things impact you, how do you take care of yourself? And do you have like certain boundaries that if you're getting up against them with a certain client, maybe, you know, ahead of time before even working with them, like you're, it's a no-go. Yeah. I can usually tell from initial conversation. I was going to say word choice and vibe. Yeah. But, and I go a lot off of energy and vibe. I may be a little woo-woo in that way or whatever people wanted to call it. Everyone listening. I know, which I love, (laughs) you know, which also made me feel, you know, outside, apart. 
from where I live, you know, but, but I love it. And I think, you know, one of the things, and I lost my train of thought. Oh, I'm where sorry. We, Lauren? I, I probably got us off on a tangent. So how, how you sorry. protect your own energy, right? That's, that's crossing a line yeah. and what those lines are for you. Yeah. So, so yeah, as I was saying, like, I, I, I can usually tell from the vibes that's happening mm-hmm. and I've had to learn and I'm still working this out for myself, actually. So here's what I've learned so far. <laughs> Let's put it like that. So far, I've learned that after conversations that do affect me, I need to take time to just, I read a lot, like a lot, <laughs> like a lot. So sometimes I would just go into one of my favorite novels and read. Or I'm also a Grey's Anatomy expert, so I dance it out. <laughs> Kristen, oh my gosh, you two should have a follow-up conversation just about Grey's. I yes, stopped please. After Christina Yang left, I was like, I don't know if I can keep doing this, but it's a good show. <laughs> yes. Um, so... Yeah. So I dance it out. You know, I, we have a puppy now. So I go pet the puppy. Like I usually need to do solo things. Like I can't be around people because what happens is if I'm around others, like because of what's sitting inside, I snap, I start snapping Mm-hmm. at people and they don't even know where it's coming from and I realized that the time when like after one of those calls like my sister asked me something and like totally went off mm. and she was like what is wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> and I realized okay maybe you need to do like solo things you know go binge watch a couple episodes of something go you know things like that um just yeah things that that's how and now I can also like you know I'll call my niece or my nephews and hear them say cute things or watch videos of them doing cute things things like that are you know to keep me like ground me again right because I and you know whether it's right wrong whatever. I personally open myself up when I'm in conversation with people, you know, mm-hmm. because it's who I am. Like, I can't not. <laughs> like, coming it's to the myself. Yep. It's a part of, you know, me. And, and I think it's not a, tactic or you know whatever the online business world wants you to you know you know that stuff it's just it's just me Mm -hmm. and yeah so oh that's really helpful and I hope anyone listening who I mean even if you're not facilitating anti-oppression work like if you're getting projected on by students clients really anybody um 
those self-regulation tools. And also it doesn't have to look like very serious meditation, which it can, but I love that you're like binge watch some TV. For me, it's housewives. That's my Grey's Anatomy these days. Okay. Gross and problematic, but I've been watching those women since like 2008. (laughs) At this point, I'm in deep. Um, and I'm oh my super, so I have so few vices left. I'm like, I'm not giving up housewives. Uh, that, and you know, in the way that you structure your work now, cause we, um, exchanged emails a little while ago. So I'm like, I might want to refer folks to you. And, yeah. um, and I know you had like a one-on-one offering and right. you had yeah. how, how have you gone about structuring the different ways that you work with people. It, is that part of it is like protecting your energy and kind of knowing what you need to. Yeah. So, so things are iterating. It's my ah. favorite word. It's a good word. It's my favorite. I get <laughs> things for someone who <laughs> doesn't like change. I have a lot of change in my life and I also like to iterate. <laughs> you almost have to with business. I if it's not to. changing, then yeah. something's probably yeah. stuck. Yeah, exactly. And I always say, I always say this, everything I've done with clients, with like my taking inclusive action workshop, things like that, I have done, given my 110% based on the knowledge that I had at that time. Right. And then, so you did not miss out (laughs) on anything because that was my 110% always in everything. And which is why after like I facilitate anything, I always block off the rest of the day. Same. I learned the hard way I have to. Yeah, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) exactly. Because I energy like I come down off of this like adrenaline rush like and I'm just like done (laughs) right but but yeah so so structurally now things are changing a bit in Fern Education Studios coming based on because like I'm thinking about that email I sent you yeah things are changing things have iterated and yes I will be offering still one-on-one, but very limited because that one-on-one, but I'm also leaning into more working with communities, working with people who are, um, and this is also new for me, and (laughs) you heard it here first (laughs) kind of thing working with helping people plan conferences and summits through looking at through a DEI lens, right? What are you, what are you doing through that? The perfect person for that. (laughs) Yeah. Right. That's so cool. Well, and you recently spoke at a conference too, right? Yes. Yes. Featured in conferences. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So, and that's the other part too. So I'm, you know, going to be speaking more. We're putting it out there, speaking more, um, looking for spaces to speak, looking for programs to come in and facilitate workshops, you know, smaller organizations 
especially I, I, I have always been a girl. Yeah, I'm a girl, a woman um, <laughs> who, who embraces. And I feel like it's because like I grew up in a small island. I went to a small college. I, you know, everything has been like not this like huge corporate like structure, mm-hmm. you know? So I've always had a soft spot for the smaller organizations and companies. Mm-hmm. And that's who I want to work with in terms of organizational going in and training um, them. But I don't want to leave like solopreneurs behind. And so next year, and I'm still, you know, figuring out what this is going to look like, but taking inclusive action is going to come back, but more as a mentorship. Mm. And I use that word very intentionally because it's more about, you know, it's going to be like, yes, learning, Mm -hmm. but definitely intentional action and accountability, right? That's what that space is going to be. And that ongoing, like, intentional action, learning, accountability at, you know, for people who are doing this on their own as well. And, you know, especially if this is something that you value, but you're like, I, I have to like figure out all these things on my own, how I can't even start to think about DEI mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And it's not a like nice to have, right? It's a, yes. it's a need to have. It's a need to have. It's just like you need to file your taxes and exactly. <laughs> um, have a way exactly. to pay you. Yeah, because yeah. it's, first of all, on a cynical level, it's a huge fucking PR risk not to right? a white person, but also on a non-cynical, just like human level, things do not work. Yeah. Like your, your work will not sustain itself. I had a client um, that... Uh, a while back I was doing some communications work for, and it, they were treating that work as a nice to have. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to bring these concepts into their marketing and yeah. talking about it. And after a while, I kind of stopped pushing because I realized they weren't going to back it up with action or weren't ready to. Yeah. They didn't see it as an investment that was a need to have. Mm-hmm. And things aren't really moving and grooving that well for them. People potential customers, clients, whatever supporters smell performance from a mile away. Yes. Um, people are so smart. If they, if, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> on every level too. It's like, if you're just depending on some email sequence and you have all right. these fancy bells and whistles, like that doesn't work anymore. No. <laughs> um, no. they want authenticity. They want, yes. are you actually going to solve my problems? Do I relate to your story? Mm-hmm. Are you inclusive and centering people who have less privilege than you do? Is this, even if like for me, I still work with a lot of cis white women, but they have those values. And if I weren't clear about who I am, they don't want to work with me. Yeah. Yeah. There's a million like, you know, run of the mill coaches out there who aren't going to talk about capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. I, I really hope folks take that away from this conversation. And it doesn't have to be some like you hire 
a fancy consultancy firm. And I love wow. that you have mentorship because it's yes. an online practice. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to build it as a mentorship, because here's the thing, you know, and that's with solopreneurs, especially like you feel you have to be like, okay, I have to be like making like hundreds of thousands of dollars and it's going to take like a really, really, no, I, I don't, I want it to be accessible yeah, to us because I'm a part of that solopreneur, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Too. Like I want it to be accessible to us, but also knowing that you're going to be basically getting what a big firm is going to give you. Yep. But you also need to understand that you have to put in your mm-hmm. piece too. You have to do things. You don't have to make grand gestures because none of that none of that those things fall apart one time when you start thinking of it in that way but mm-hmm. you're going to start taking those actions that mm-hmm. can small actions can make have a big impact daydream marie brown says follows everything exactly you know um could you share more if you're up for it about what those small actions are like let's say someone has kind of treated um, equity, inclusion, justice work as a nice to have, or I don't, I don't have space in my brain for that yet. Like, what are those small little baby steps to start with? Yeah, I think for me, it starts with self. (laughs) (laughs) Hardest part. Hardest part. It starts with self and just kind of naming like, okay, this is, this is, this is, these are where my gaps are. <laughs> this is what I don't know. Okay. I've done all this reading. I listen to the podcast. I follow these people on social media. I hear them talk. I retweet. I repost. I do all the things. Right. But you know what? I have been doing actually absolutely nothing else. I've just been in learning mode right? So first acknowledging that's an action, acknowledging that (laughs) is an action. Yeah. It's like an audit of where you come. Where are you? Right. Where are you? Mm -hmm. You know, start there. Where are you? And then I always say this work So a lot of people start thinking about like, oh, well, my marketing and my language. And I always say it's all of that stuff. It comes back to the people. Yeah. It comes back to the relationships. So now you're thinking about self. Let's think about who is in your orbit, Mm -hmm. right? Who are you? Who are the clients that are coming to your space? Do you even know anything more than what you can physically see? Mm-hmm. Right? How, if you don't, then how can you learn more about them? What can you do to, to learn more about them where you don't feel like me? Like, oh, am I trying to get them to be like, so TMI? Like, is it TMI to ask? Right. You, know? you know, but there, there, there are ways you can go about this, right? 
within your intake forms, within, you know, things like that, right? Um, within, yeah, exactly. Put yeah. some, <laughs> you know, ask, right? <laughs> Just a simple, where mm-hmm. are you located now versus where were you born? Mm. It doesn't, ha- it's, for me, it's completely different. Most of the time, it's actually the same right now, which is the last 20 years, it hasn't been, mm-hmm. right? I've always been like that question on a form, like, where are you from? Oh, how much time do you have? <laughs> how much time do you have? Because I'm from all these places. Yeah. They're all a part of me, you know? So, but just those little things, you know, can, you know, mm-hmm. what's your, you know, what, I, I, I can't even think of how to phrase this right now, but just, just those things to get to know them beyond just what you can see, mm-hmm. right? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and because you're building a foundation, right? So then when you start having that information, right, from the clients you're working with now, even contractors, even colleagues, even people you want to collaborate with, right? You know, digging a little bit below the surface to start with can help. And then you start, okay, now, where do you go from there? What do you, now you know, okay, well, if I'm having these types of people coming into my orbit, Let's look at what my program is. This is, don't get me started talking about curriculum and program design because I start to nerd <laughs> out, right? Because then you start thinking about, you know, that you start thinking about the structure, your program structure, the pro- like what, you know, and that's a huge task all on its own, right? And then I always say, you kind of, it's like looking at this power, your powers of discernment. When do you know it's time for you to be the one to do something or say something or be something? Or when it's time to say, you know what? I don't know. I need to maybe bring someone in to help me with this. Yeah. Or to speak on this because this is not part of my lived experience or this is not part of anything I know anything about. Right. But, you know, it's like those three areas, the people, your program, whatever that looks like, your business structure and those powers of discernment kind of make those areas. And within each, you know, they overlap and they intersect and all that kind of stuff. But it's like breaking it down step by step. I wouldn't even say step by step because that I see that as linear. It's not even, it's like this cycle. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a spiral almost. Spiral, right? Yeah. Oftentimes in my coaching work, I'll talk about, you know, whether we're talking about trauma recovery or shifting a mindset or setting boundaries, whatever it is that you're learning about, that's a different way of being. It's like starting at the bottom of a, of a mountain 
yeah. and going around and up. Yeah. The so you, like as it. you get higher, you do have more perspective, but you're probably going to come back around to the same conditioning, same, mm-hmm. dirt, same, whatever, just a new yeah. fun, colorful layer yeah. of it. <laughs> exactly. And you meet those big boulders that keep you and you're like, okay, now I need to get around that boulder and spiral yep. up, you yep. know? Yep. <laughs> it's, yep. Yeah. And it takes community support. I mean, I think what you were saying about, we can read all the books, we can listen to all the podcasts, but at some point you have to also invest in the support to actually transform and take action, not just learning. And I think what can be a pitfall for folks who find my work, and I imagine yours too, is sometimes the learning can be like a bandaid. It's like, I feel like I'm doing something I'm reposting to Instagram and I'm doing all this stuff in practice. Like, am I actually getting where I want to? And I know it can be scary sometimes to put money down and being on a new way of being and having accountability Um, and and investing. When I say in the transformation, it doesn't necessarily have to look like money. It could also be other groups that you join or, finding an accountability partner who's a friend if it's not in your budget right now, but some sort of commitment and investment of time Mm -hmm. and money resources in the support is what's going to change things. Um, And, you know, in terms of other small steps, you mentioned like getting to know people better in the intake forms. This, another reason we talk about social location at the top of the podcast is that. I mean, we, we want there to be transparency about the perspective that our guest is bringing and mm-hmm. shared our locations many times, but, um, I find that, you know, especially for white folks, we're not really taught to even like talk about race. The conditioning mm-hmm. is like, it doesn't exist, which is so silly when you think yeah. about it. And so even just talking about where you're from and what your background is and having that transparency about it can really shift the culture, whether you're a solopreneur and you're doing it for your own business, or if you work at a big institution, just starting Mm -hmm. to say the words. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so important, right? It's so important to just, you know, start. Yeah. Just start. Rip off the band. Yeah. Doing something. And I think what ends up happening I'm just thinking I I had a question in a training I did yesterday and we were talking about social location and it was the first time many of them had done that and you know they were like I I, I find myself in all these like privileged I use that wheel the wheel of power and privilege right that I know uh Tristan also yeah uses as well and they they were just like I find myself in all these privileged, you know, pieces and, and it's like, what do I, what do I do? Like, how do I, how do I, I I can't change this. So how do I, you know, like help others that aren't, or how can I show others that even though I have these privileges, you know, I, you know, and it's like, the questions come from like this, like, oh, what's the word? This like, they're they're like, uh, you can like panic. feel it in what I'm doing. Panic, that's the word. Like this panic of like, oh my gosh, I'm realizing that I I fall with so much privilege. I have so many privileged identities. So now I have to like go out and like do all the things so that people don't don't see me as 
bad for lack right. of a better word for right. having you know and that's not the case right, right. the first it's like what i said knowing is the first step and acknowledging and seeing that in yourself and being aware that awareness is so important in order for you to even start taking action. Because now once you are aware, you start seeing little things here and there that you can never unsee. Yeah, it's like <laughs> one of those uh, magic eye illusion things. You yeah. see either a vase or two people's faces and then you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And it also helps you build the muscle of discernment depending on yeah. the context you're in. Like if I'm the only woman in a space, Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of cis men, you know, I'm more marginalized. So speaking yeah. up and whatever is going to look different or keeping myself safe by not speaking up, whatever. Mm-hmm. If I am the only cis person in a space, usually yeah. that's not my role <laughs> unless I'm right. asked to intervene. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, man, we, we have so many good nuggets in here and, I'm wondering for anyone listening who would be interested in learning more about your work or, you know, hiring you or joining this mentorship, how can they find out more? So I am on um, LinkedIn. You can, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn, follow me on LinkedIn, Abiola Bala, um, you can search. And I'm on Instagram at Fern Education Studios, Fern with a P-H. but the place to really, like I post on their social media and I have a, you know, love-hate relationship. Um, <laughs> but the place to find me is on my newsletter. It's where I drop the gems. Good stuff. Where I drop the gems. So you can, the bit.ly link is bit.ly slash TIA newsletter, all in common letters. Yeah. Get on there. It's the place. We'll link it all in the show notes. Again, can't recommend the newsletter enough. I I love how you tell stories. You bring in your own story. Um, Your most recent one was so good where you're like, there are so many terrible things happening. I don't even know where to start. Um, But also again, you have that like translation superpower where it's, I don't feel overwhelmed opening it, you know? Yeah. Um, you're a true educator. So Thank I'm grateful you could join today. Um, Tristan, you were missed and yes. referenced a lot. Uh, and also shout out to Brooke Monaghan. I think she's how we yes. said, Oh my gosh. Right? Brooke, I yeah. love you. <laughs> I, I've met so many awesome people. The, the space that um, you're part of that I met you through yeah. that Brooke mm-hmm. runs. It's just full, so many cool people. Yes. Um, Brooke is the coolest. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, thank you so much. And thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you.